It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Almost Brian Kilmeade. Hey, I'm Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian today. And uh, boy, there's a few things talking about in the news. And hey, congratulations, New York. Andrew Cuomo is still your governor. I don't know how somebody resigns, but, you know, he's still the governor. But, hey, uh, congratulations to you all in, in New York. Um, lots to talk about. Um, we have some fabulous guests coming up, and I want to get right after it. Not a whole lot of introduction here. I want to get right after it because we have Congressman Mike Gallagher, the Republican from uh, Wisconsin's 8th Congressional District. Uh, Congressman, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Great to be with you, Jason. Well, first of all, I want to thank you. Thank you for your service to our nation, serving in the in the military. Um, but uh, you also are on the uh, on the Armed Services Committee, and uh, you know, there's a few things going on over in Afghanistan that uh, just a couple weeks ago, um, maybe we wouldn't have said, "Hey, this is going to be the forefront of what's going on uh, on uh, August 20th." But here we are, and it's a mess. It's an absolute cluster. But given your military background, your service overseas, uh, your perspective there in Congress, what, what's your top line take on what's going down? Well, I think this is ultimately a failure of presidential leadership. I mean, I suspect we'll learn more about the tactics and just the operational uh, problems with the withdrawal. But the buck stops with the president and the fact that President Biden has been so incompetent throughout this mess. And after the country has collapsed, after we have 15,000 Americans trapped behind enemy lines, no coherent plan for getting them out, um, the president goes and addresses the nation and continues to blame everybody and take no responsibility, blaming his predecessor, President Trump, blaming the Afghan people, uh, over 55,000 of whom have died fighting alongside of us. It is incredibly shameful. I, I haven't seen anything like it in recent history. And I'm worried, Jason, I'm worried about the credibility of America's commitments, the credibility of our military deterrence. And we know that the Chinese Communist Party is exploiting this field. Right? They're, they're writing op-eds and their propaganda mouthpiece to the Taiwanese people saying, see, America can't be trusted. America is a fair weather friend. Don't count on America to defend you uh, when the invasion happens. I mean, we are at a very, very dangerous point for American deterrence. And that is ultimately a failure of President Biden, who campaigned in part on his great foreign policy experience. Well, look what it's getting us right now. Absolute disaster in one region of the world, and I think growing disasters in other regions of the world. Well, there's a lot to unpack there, but I think you're right. I mean, I want to go, I want to play this clip. This is Joe Biden uh, foreshadowing, uh, just what, 40 days ago, not even 40 days ago, uh, foreshadowing what things are going to look like in Afghanistan. We have the an incredible intelligence agency. We spend hundreds of billions in the United States military. It's hard to fathom how the president of the United States could foreshadow this. Listen to Joe Biden. 
The Afghan troops have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world, and an Air Force, against something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable. What, I, I mean, he's so not credible there, um, and I'm concerned that we left literally tens, I don't know how many, billions of dollars worth of United States equipment, guns, arsenal, I mean, tanks, uh, Black Hawk helicopters. I mean, there's a lot left behind. But for him not to see that this is coming and then the way he did it where he extracted the military before he extracted the personnel just seems like something a good third grader could come up with. 100%. You know, we also just completely said the opposite a couple of days ago in his interview with Jason, with, uh, with George Stephanopoulos, he said it was inevitable, right? This was always going to happen. They knew this was going to happen. They planned for all contingencies. Well, if this is the plan. My gosh, what a terrible plan it is. I think the little problem is by just citing the number of Afghan troops is it obscures a critical fact, which is that we trained these troops in part to be reliant on American air power, and or, or we trained their air power to be reliant on American contractors. And when American troops left, of course, our contractors aren't going to stay. And the Afghan troops, with the exception of a small cadre of special operators of the Coast Protection Force or, you know, some kind of descendants of the, Nor- the, the Northern Alliance, uh, could not stand uh, on their own. And in my opinion, we could have at least at least maintained a presence at Bagram Air Force Base until we had gotten all of our people out because there's multiple runways there. It's an easily secured perimeter. To put everything in the basket of getting people out via the airport in Kabul, which is in the middle of a city of 5 million people that's not now controlled by the Taliban, makes absolutely no sense. So you know, yeah. while I was on the side of keeping a small presence there, and I understand people on the other side, I don't think anyone can defend the way in which this withdrawal has been handled. It's been an absolute fiasco. Well, as a member of Congress, I did go to Afghanistan a couple of times. I flew in and out of the Kabul airport. It's an exceptionally difficult and dangerous place. Now, look, I was met by a very uh, competent United States military, uh, MRAPs, but it's a very narrow street. You try to get from that Kabul airport, it gets very narrow. And probably the most nervous they got when I was in Afghanistan uh, with other members of Congress was that particular drive because it was so narrow they could not secure it. I've also flown in and out of Bagram, and and Bagram is a massive airport, great security, I mean, plenty of space. But there was a decision made that was a fatal one, which was, look, we're either going to secure the embassy or we're going to secure the airport. I don't know how they can't have the military be the last ones out um, and get rid, you know, extract out the the civilians, the foreign service officers, the people at the embassy. Um, I want to play this clip. Uh, This was this morning. This is Lindsey Graham. He was on Fox and Friends talking about two of the ramifications. And we're talking again right here with uh, Congressman Mike Gallagher, the Republican from Wisconsin. But you you alluded to this, but I want to get you to dive a little bit deeper into this. Listen to Lindsey Graham and what he thinks some of the fallout will be with this, uh, the way things are going on in Afghanistan. 
He's done two things. He's made it harder for America to get allies in the future because we're going to abandon those Afghans who helped us. Right. Uh, and, 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 and quite frankly, he, he's made another 9-11 tenfold more likely by withdrawing everybody. What's your take on that? Well, I think I agree in part. I, I think part of the justification the, the Biden administration used to get out or to justify withdrawal was that you could do counterterrorism from over the horizon. You could adopt an overwatch posture and still, you know, go after bad guys. I think we're seeing that that was a lie or a naive fantasy. I mean, we can't even secure, you know, basic uh, territory uh, in Afghanistan. How are we going to generate the intelligence necessary to target terrorists uh, throughout the country? It just doesn't make any sense. And then more broadly, the other justification was, oh, this will free up resources to focus on the China fight, right, which in China is a far greater threat uh, over the long term to our country. I totally agree with that. Well, we're seeing that the opposite is happening as well. Uh, we're having to shift carriers from the Pacific in order to cover the withdrawal. You know, ironically and tragically, I think this is the exact same thing that happened to Obama's foreign policy. Obama, towards the end of his foreign policy, wanted to pivot to the Pacific. He wanted to rebalance to Asia. But because he misunderstood the basic alliance structure in the Middle East and made a series of stupid decisions in that region of the world, he created chaos and was forced to deal with that chaos. And I think that's what we're going to see play out with Afghanistan. I'm not rooting for that outcome. That's a bad outcome for America. And then I think the senator's right to say their allies are very worried about the credibility of our commitment. And anytime you create a permissive environment in which China and Russia and other adversaries are laughing at us, you know, it's just a, a bad day to be a friend of America. And we want our friends to trust us and we want our enemies to fear us. And right now I fear that they don't. Well, I, and I think uh, Congressman Gallagher, we're, we're speaking with here, th that that's one of the, the, the I, it's just an absolute mystery to me. I mean, the visuals of Joe Biden by himself getting on Marine One, going on vacation, sitting at the table by <laughs> himself, um, but to not call and work in concert with our allies and our NATO allies. And then to, I've read the story about um, ignoring uh, the Brits in particular for, you know, close to two days. I don't understand how that happens. You would think that there would be a plan in place where we're working with the Brits and the Aussies and the South Koreans and the Japanese, you know, the people that are our friends and allies, even though their numbers may be smaller, they still too have a vested interest and have been helpful to us when we've needed it. But there was no plan. No. I mean, this was the promise of Joe Biden that he was strengthened foreign policy and he had all these, you know, this Rolodex with all these foreign leaders. But boy, that's that's not the case at all. The, 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 the immediate concern, though, are these Americans, Americans that are there. They were serving our country. They could have been as contractors, foreign service um, personnel. But it's pretty stunning to me that they don't have a real good grip on how many people are actually there. Listen to this interaction uh, with the Pentagon press secretary as uh, he, uh, John Kirby, as he's pressed by a reporter, cut five. How many Americans, uh, American citizens remain in, in Afghanistan? I don't know. So, so, so you're, I mean, you're planning for these operations and you should be, you know, have some kind of account of how many Americans are, whether in harm's way or need to be evacuated, right? I think, as you probably know, um, 
uh, I mean, first of all, the State Department would be a better place to go for an estimate of how many Americans are Afghanistan or in and around Kabul. That is not a figure that the United States military would would know. This is what always drove me crazy. When I was chairman of the Oversight Committee, how many times did I hear them say, well, the State Department doesn't talk to the to the Defense Department? How could they not talk about this very basic thing? It, it's mystifying. I mean, this, this is just crazy. It raises the question, who's in charge? Who is in charge? I mean, theoretically, I guess that since this is an interagency operation, it someone within the NSC, the National Security Advisor, uh, should be in charge of of uh, coordinating this, but we didn't get any better answers from Jake Sullivan when he press conference. You, know, you mentioned these Americans, uh, and, and I agree wholeheartedly that you know our top priority has to be getting our people to safety. I mean, think about it. if you're one of those 15,000 people, and the State Department and the Defense Department have now told you that we can't guarantee your safe passage. So what are you to do? I mean, we've we've now left these people in some sort of bizarre. Hunger Games running man situation where they have to find their way to the airport in Kabul and then find their way through Taliban controlled checkpoints to beg their way onto a U.S. aircraft. I mean, this is a shame on our national security establishment. I mean, this is just an absolute disaster in terms of planning and for the Pentagon to throw the hot potato to the State Department and vice versa. It's just unacceptable. The American people deserve better leadership than they're getting right now. I, I have driven that road. I have been on it. I have seen it personally. I Try to envision this. It's a, it's a small two-lane road. It's not a highway. It's just a two-lane road. There are people along the street. This is just how people in Kabul live where they stoke fires on the on the side of the street or in the street. So there are little campfires going on. It is so tight in that area that it comes down like it, it as a funnel and there's no way. This isn't like some big massive airport, you know, in Houston or, you know, pick your big airport, you know, Miami or whatever it might be. This is like a smaller regional airport that you would see it's probably bigger than, say, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, um, but it's not much bigger than Des Moines, uh, Iowa, but it doesn't have all the open space around it. And and that this is the concern. I, I got to go real quick here, but uh, Congressman, what do you want to see? Because there's going to be a hearing next week. Concisely, what are the questions that you have? Why Why do we have an arbitrary date, August 31st? for uh, evacuating people. Let's abandon the date, and we will get all of our people out. If nothing else, even when now we've had the Saigon moment, you know, we can't save faiths, but we can save lives. So now we need the Dunkirk moment. We need to muster some energy and creativity to get our people out. And I get it, the administration's incompetent, but we got to get Americans out of that country. And what is the plan for doing that? Uh. Congressman Mike Gallagher, thank you for your service in our United States military, but thank you also for your service there in in Congress. He's the congressman from Wisconsin's 8th Congressional District. Mike Gallagher, thanks for joining us today. We'll be right back. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian. And, uh, you know, obviously we're all talking about what's going on in Afghanistan. I thought I'd tell you a quick story about uh, my time in Afghanistan. I, I Look, as a member of Congress, I blew in and out in a couple of days. So not like these men and women who went over and served for a year or served multiple duties and lost limbs and away from their families. But... Uh, one time I was there and uh, we went out to go see the training that was going to go on with the Afghan military police. And it was a British commander that was actually in charge. And so I went up to the British commander and we were watching this exercise. I said, how's it going? And he's just shaking his head like there's no hope here. There is no hope that this is actually going to work. And I as I was talking to him, he said, now, listen, what we're trying to teach these guys to do is uh, we drive a car by and then we want them to write down the license plate number um, to institute some degree of the rule of law. And I said, well, what's the problem? And he said, um, these people are totally illiterate. I mean, with all due respect, you know, there's human dignity here. But the reality is these 20 and 30 year old men had never held a pencil. They had never had a piece of paper in their hand where they had to write something down. They didn't know the alphabet and they didn't know numbers. And these were the people that were going to be the police force. So when Joe Biden goes out there and talks about nobody could see it coming, we had 300,000 people and, you know, we had the finest. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. 
His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Equipment. Do you think these, these people were really going to operate a Black Hawk helicopter, let alone be able to shoot um, some sort of projectile in a direction that made sense? The communication tools that it would take to have a degree of sophistication to thwart an enemy that's as aggressive and as talented as uh, the Taliban and whatnot? No, they, they're up against street fighters. They're up against something that is... Um, in their heart, in their soul. And so for Joe Biden to go out and suggest that nobody could see this coming, I can tell you, I took a position back in 2009 that we ought to bring our troops home. Not like this, not with this embarrassment, not without a coalition of partners, not without, not by having the military leave and then leave all the civilians. That's just not the way it should go. But if anybody to suggest that, oh, yeah, they were ready to take over and run this country all by themselves, that is an absolute joke. It's wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. We got great guests coming up. More discussion as we talk about this. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a few. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. So you don't think this could have been handled, this actually could have been handled better in any way? No mistakes? No, I, I, I don't think it could have been handled in a way that there, we, we're going to go back in hindsight and look, but the idea that somehow there's a way to have gotten out without chaos ensuing, I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that happened. So for you, that was always priced into the decision? Yes. That is absolutely stunning for the president of the United States to build in chaos. I mean, even David Ignatius from the Washington Post, who's almost 110% always pro-Democrat, was out there very critical of Joe Biden saying, you know, usually when we operate as a military and whatnot, we try to make things better, smoother, and get rid of the chaos. That's what we're actually trying to do. So the idea that this was built into the equation with no communication no interaction with our allies and whatnot is just totally completely unacceptable so um listen we are thrilled to have uh congressman jim banks uh from indiana joining us uh he's actually served in afghanistan you know as a member of congress i blew in and out at Af afghanistan and at sometimes hours and days in certain places that we went went down to Camp Leatherneck and Kandahar and Kabul and whatnot. But this man actually served. So first and foremost, uh, Congressman Banks, thanks so much for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be with you. Yeah, no, it's great to be with you. And thank you for your service, your time away from your family, putting your getting up off the couch and actually being part of the solution. But I want to get your top line take on what you see going down now, because um, my guess is uh, you're not too happy with the way things are happening. Yeah, you know, it really makes me uh, sick to my stomach. And every single day that goes by that you watch this unfold, 
you can just you can feel uh, the respect for America diminish around the world in a way that I've, that I haven't seen in my lifetime. I mean, this is a colossal failure of leadership at the highest levels of the American government, um, of our military. And um, ha- having served there, as you mentioned, I mean, I, I have a I have a vested stake. I, I've been asked so many times in the last uh, six days if I feel like my service was worth it. And of course, it was worth it. It was worth it for everyone who put on the uniform and served in Afghanistan over the last 20 years. But it does make, at the same time, it makes every veteran I talk to, everyone that I served with in Afghanistan, I've, I've heard they've, they've reached out, they called me because they know what I do now, and uh, they're angry about it too. So. At this point, uh, we, we uh, of course, uh, we all um, owe it uh, to everyone who sacrificed in Afghanistan to, to, to uh, question uh, the, the decisions that have been made. But at the same time, we have to do we have to do some th- some things in the immediate future, like get every American safely out of Afghanistan. That has to be mission number one. As you can tell, watching the news, it do- it still doesn't feel like that is an urgent mission of this administration, and and that. Uh, that, 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 of course, uh, bothers me deeply. Well, the president said, you know, that they have planned for every contingency, that this was baked into the uh, the equation. Uh, and, and let me just kind of also say in conjunction with that, I hope the men and women who did serve, um, that they recognize and hold their head high and that they know that the American people love them, care for them. And look, we went there to degrade and get rid of the capability for them to organize and have another terrorist attack like 9-11. And to that degree, I think they were successful. It's hard to pinpoint, okay, we thwarted this or we killed or took out this person. And so consequently, we didn't have this this attack. Those victories are quiet. They don't, nobody necessarily gets to see those, but... I think that's certainly the case when we look back over the history. But to your point, again, we're talking to Congressman uh, Jim Banks, uh, Congressman from Indiana, uh, who's on the House Armed Services Committee. Um, let's listen to the General Lloyd Austin. He's the Secretary of Defense. He's being asked by a reporter in this cut nine. I mean, you're still saying you're focused on the airfield. They, these people can't get into the airfield. Well, we're going to do everything we can to... Uh, continue to try to uh, de-conflict uh, and and create uh, uh, passageways for them to get to the airfield. I don't have the capability to go out and and extend operations currently into uh, into uh, Kabul. And and where do you take that? I mean, how far can you extend into Kabul? You know, and uh, and and how long does it take to flow those forces in to be able to do that? There's so many things that are wrong with that answer, but Congressman, what's your take on that? Well, I mean, yeah, the, at the same time, Jason, you have the British and the French who are going out in the Kabul away from the airport to get their citizens. And here you have the Secretary of Defense saying that America, who has the most powerful military in the in the world, is somehow incapable of going out and doing the same thing for American citizens. It's just it's just un- it's, it's shocking to me. As shocking as it has been over the last six days to watch. This unfolded in Afghanistan. What's even more shocking to me is the uh, missing in action president and the top generals, the, the Pentagon leadership uh, in the United States just completely fail at their role. But, but furthermore, this goes back, uh, Jason, you were a member of the Republican Study Committee, which I'm, I'm chairman of now. And the, the very first position that we took when I became chairman back in, in January of this year was to oppose 
the waiver to allow Gener- then General Austin to serve as the Secretary of Defense because we have we have we have a tradition in America that dates back to our founding of c- civilian control of the military and to make a, a someone who is recently a general head of the Pentagon as Secretary of Defense you're you're eroding that long held and important uh, tradition of civilian control of the military. So we opposed his waiver, but it wasn't just because of that tradition. It was also because of Secretary Austin and, uh, and then General Austin's incompetence. I mean, this is what, what, what hasn't been fully noted yet is that General Austin oversaw the pullout in Iraq on President Obama's watch. You remember when President – you were there. You remember when President right. – Obama called ISIS the JV of terrorism. Do you, I mean, that, that's where did he get that from? He got that from General Austin, who downplayed the threat of ISIS uh, when they pulled out of I- Iraq. He completely fumbled that situation that led to, led to ISIS and it took Donald Trump to defeat ISIS um, several years uh, later. Before that, he he bungled the mess in Syria. He opposed the the uh, the, the, the buffer zone that, that Senator McCain and a lot of others were calling for in Syria and, and General Austin also completely screwed up the situation in Syria. So now, now we have, now, now we have uh, him in an even more powerful role as Secretary of Defense, and you can see this, this long tradition of him screwing up Syria, screwing up Iraq, uh, 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 misrepresenting uh, and, and misunderstanding the threat of ISIS and downplaying it. And now we have now we have Secretary Austin completely screwing up the situation in Afghanistan as well. These guys just aren't fit to be leaders and to serve in these positions of leadership. And uh, enough is enough. Well, I just fundamentally don't understand why you have a secure airfield in Bagram and then you give that up in order to protect the embassy before you've extracted the personnel but i got to tell you i you should shouldn't you feel comfortable let's go to cut 11 because kamala harris she's on top of this congressman president biden always said that he wants you to be the last person in yeah. the room particularly for big decisions just as he was for president yeah. obama he just made a really big decision afghanistan yes were you the last person in the room yes and you feel comfortable i do so, Congressman, she feels comfortable. That's a that's a clip from April. I mean, this is these are wheels that were put in motion, and they executed the plan, and they planned for every contingency. And Joe Biden is now saying, "Hey, this is just part of the chaos that was baked into the decision." I don't know. Maybe you've seen uh, seen more than I have, but I, I haven't seen the vice president in public view. Uh, in the last uh, six days, it seems like she's more in hiding than than Joe Biden is. Well, tonight, and, and are, look, are tonight she's leading. Look, and look, and tonight the the vice president is getting on a, a plane, Air Force Two, and headed off to Singapore. Um, uh, boy, the the Chinese must just be shaking in their boots uh, over that one. Let's go to uh, cut fourteen. This is uh, Kevin McCarthy on uh, Sean Hannity's program, Hannity last night. Uh, about the planning and the execution. America is less safe today because of what this president has done. And the president to sit there and tell us that he has planned for every scenario, why wouldn't they stop planning? Who would plan this way? Why would they remove in a time of a height of the Taliban in the summer? If they wanted to draw down, why wouldn't they do it in winter and give the capability? To criticize the Afghan military that has been losing thousands of lives every month? 
We had stabilized this nation without a casualty in the last 18 months with 25 of our very best. And now we had to move 7,000 back in. This is one of the greatest disasters in the history of this nation. Yeah, that metric is an important one, right? We had 2,500 troops, um, but now they have to move 7,000 back in. I mean, that alone should show Joe Biden that, that, that I mean, it was a complete and utter failure. Yeah, Kevin McCarthy is right. I mean, the, the way this administration has handled this has created a, a disaster of, of historic and epic proportions. What's all, always important to remember, Jason, I've made this point many times over the last several days, is that Donald Trump set us down a path to safely and responsibly pull our troops out of Afghanistan and get them out of harm's way and leave Afghanistan in a stable position. We didn't have a single American death in Afghanistan for uh, for since uh, I, I believe February of of, uh, of 2020 was the last time. So the situation there was it was very uh, and that and that and that's you know that that's sad to me. Any any American death is 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 uh, is tragic in Afghanistan. But we had a more stable situation that the Biden administration has completely blown up. And furthermore, what's also important to note is that that President Trump never shut the door on keeping a light footprint of special operation forces in Afghanistan to prevent this situation from happening and also to prevent al-Qaeda, ISIS, or another radical Islamic terrorist group rising up in Afghanistan and, and using it as a as a base to launch attacks against the United States of America. So th- this, uh, this approach by the Biden administration will go down in history as one of the greatest foreign policy and military catastrophes this country has ever seen. And at this point, we should be asking serious questions whether or not this commander-in-chief is capable of leading our country for over three more years. Yeah, but heaven forbid, let's not put the vice president in charge. My goodness, things could get worse. Uh, Let's go back. We're talking with Congressman uh, Jim Banks, a congressman from Indiana. But I want to talk very specifically in the last couple moments that we have here uh, about your service in Afghanistan. You know, the president, if you just listen to what he says, they thought that the Afghans could take care of themselves, that they were the one of the biggest militaries on the face of the planet, certainly one of the best equipped militaries on the face of the planet. My personal experience, with all due respect, these are human beings. I, I want to be decent to them. But the illiteracy and the, the outright fraud was such – it was so systemic. I didn't see any way that they were actually going to dig out of this hole – of living literally in the Stone Ages, but what was your personal experience? What did you see on the ground when you were there? Yeah, it's an entirely different culture, and and uh, there was a lot of there obviously a lot of uh, of corruption that occurred in that culture. My 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 job directly on the job, Jason, was part of the of the foreign military sales effort, which really strikes home at this moment. I mean, the the front end and the back end of acquiring American military equipment, like vehicles, weapons, ammunition, night vision goggles, medical supplies, um, all the above, and then turning it over to the Afghans. And and when you're on the ground involved in that effort, you immediately recognize that uh, that it's a different culture, the competencies are different, and uh, we're, we're trying to put a, a square through a round hole, uh, if you will, um, or, or mix another metaphor there. I mean, it was a very difficult and challenging process to provide them with our equipment and expect them to be able to use it. So, But we did that for 20 years, and that's why when Do- Donald Trump was the first president who came along and said, 
in the nation building activities and just focus on counterterrorism, which is what we went there to do to begin with. I mean, we, for 20 years, we did the same thing and failed over and over and over again in supplying billions of dollars of equipment and trying to build up a government in a place where it just wasn't capable of happening. So that, that was my experience on the ground. And, and it, it strikes home at this point because now we're turning over tens of billions of dollars of our equipment that we've turned over to the Afghans that's now fallen into the hands of the Taliban. Where will, where will it go from there? Will Al-Qaeda, ISIS, will all of those weapons, all the weapons and ammunition, uh, military-grade vehicles, they are very likely to, turn, uh, to not just fall into the hands of the Taliban, but, but even worse. No, I, that's the fear, right, is that we're going to end up fighting against that same equipment that we gave them. It's just so poorly executed. It's just not thought out. Um, and no building with our coalition partners. And I, the president is due to speak today at about 1 p.m. Um, and we'll we'll find out more about what he supposedly has to say about this. But. Congressman Banks, can't thank you enough for your service uh, to our country in the military. And uh, thanks for joining us today on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We do appreciate it. Hey, good to be with you. Have a good day. Thank you. All right, we'll be back with more at the Brian Kilmeade Show right after this. Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, almost, Brian Kilmeade. This is Jason Chaffetz. I am the host of the Jason in the House podcast. I hope you can check out my podcast, Jason in the House. Filling in for Brian Kilmeade, uh, one of my favorite people at Fox and certainly one of the hardest working guys there. Um, I used to serve in Congress, too. I was there eight and a half years. I was chairman of the Oversight Committee and also at one time was on the Budget Committee. We've been talking a lot about Afghanistan. I thought I'd tell a very quick story so we go on what's called the CODEL, a congressional delegation trip, and uh, this one was headed up by Paul Ryan, who was uh, ended up being the Speaker of the House. But back when he was heading up the um, uh, Budget Committee, I went with uh, James Lankford, who's now the Senator from Oklahoma, a couple others. And uh, the Afghan military was trying to show off for us. They wanted us to see how well they were trained, and so we watched this exercise outside and and then they asked us to go into the uh, classroom, and I, I wish uh, Paul Ryan or, or, um, or James Langford was here to, to tell you about this because it really was one of the most amazing moments. So picture a, um, like a classroom, like a normal classroom. We're sitting in this classroom, and they have a stand at the back of the room. So there's you know several members of Congress standing at the back of the classroom. And they start yelling some stuff, and these Afghan troops come marching in, and they're carrying guns, like, um, you know, big guns. And then they proceed to show us this exercise, and what they do is they raise their guns up as if they're going to fire them. And it's like there's we're like in a firing squad. We're like, oh, my gosh, you know, and a guy like we've all shot guns before. We all know about gun safety. This is like the least most dangerous thing you could do is point a gun directly at somebody. They were pretending that we were the targets and oh my gosh, you should have seen our handlers. 
we were all just our like our hearts had stopped. But this is what was going on. This is the way they were training the Afghan military, and we just left that room thinking. I'm so glad there wasn't an accident or somebody didn't actually fire that gun. But we came that close to, to saying that's the end of the rope for us. I'm Jason Chaffetz. Uh, this has been the Brian Kilmeade Show. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, this is actually Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian Kilmeade. Um, I, it's an honor and privilege to sit here in this seat and uh, talk about the issues of the day because, oh my goodness, from immigration to COVID to uh, this mess and this debacle that's going on, it's just so sad to see in Afghanistan. Uh, there's a lot that we need to break down and a lot to talk about today. So thank you for joining us. Uh, and we're thrilled to have on the line. I don't want to waste any time. I want to get right after it. One of our favorites, the senator from Tennessee, Senator Marsha Blackburn. Senator, thanks so much for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey there, Jason. It is so good to join you today. Thank you. Well, you, you've got you got you're one of the hardest working senators I know, and I know you're on top of this mess and this debacle. Um, but I got to tell you, this is an embarrassing moment for the United States of America. You know, to hear Joe Biden say it, he planned for this contingency. They had everything. And, you know, chaos was part of what was baked into the decision. But it didn't have to be this way, did it, Senator? No, it did not have to be this way because President Trump and Secretary Pompeo working with our NATO partners, our allies, our Afghan partners, they had set up a withdrawal plan. The entire thing was going to be based on threat assessments and conditions on the ground. There were benchmarks that were in place, and once the Afghan government, the security forces hit a benchmark, then you would move to the next step. That is what is commonly called an orderly process and an orderly withdrawal. Well, Joe Biden didn't want that. He wanted a date on the calendar. And Jason, as you well remember, all throughout the war on terror, what have the terrorists told us? They've said, you've got the clocks, we've got the time. So when Joe Biden gave them a date, what did they do? They started planning an exit strategy for us. They planned how they were going to move in. And now we're finding out that the Communist Chinese Party and probably the Iranians and the Russians have been there uh, to provide political support or economic support or whatever to help the Taliban is they have very quickly moved in and taken control of the country. But I think one of the things that is so incredibly disheartening We've got 15,000 American citizens that are behind enemy lines that have to have safe passage. We have our partners 
that have to have safe passage out of there, the Afghans who have served as our guides and our intel sources, have worked at the embassy, have served as our interpreters. They, We have said that you would get safe passage. And now to see our Department of Defense uh, not taking steps, our Department of State not taking steps to rescue Americans and our partners. It really is distressing and, as you said, an embarrassing moment for the country. It is. It's devastating to our standing on the world stage. I feel so bad for the men and women who for 20 years served in our United States military. Um, I heard Peter Schweitzer say this, and I think it's a good way to sum it up, which is, uh, we love the boots. It's the suits that we have a problem with. And um, I think the boots on the ground did do an amazing job and they ought to hold their head high. But the suits, they just ignored the warning signs. Let's listen to this uh, cut 13. This is Rick Grinnell, the former acting director of national intelligence on Hannity talking uh, last night, talking about the warning signs that were there. I've spent today talking to multiple State Department officials, Foreign Service officers, career officials, and the warnings were early. And let me just tell you that in early June, I have seen evidence of a warning, a very stark warning to Jake Sullivan in early June. Then there were multiple cables throughout June warning of what's happening as the Taliban rises. Now, on July 1st, we shut down Bagram Air Force Base, the troops were removed before American civilians or Foreign Service officers and embassy personnel were removed. How do you do that? I, it, it, seriously, how do you do that? How do you get rid of the military presence before you've extracted the, the civilian population? That makes absolutely no sense to me. It makes no sense at all. And indeed, we had continually asked for questions, would ask questions, but not receive answers. As we were going through this process, as we were working to get some of our citizens and our SIV applicants out of there, the State Department was moving very slowly. And Rick Grinnell is very precise on this. He is correct. The warning signs were there. We were hearing uh, things. We were asking questions. Ambassador Ryan Crocker, who I know you remember well, had been yep. the ambassador into Afghanistan and Pakistan. I asked him in a hearing about 60 days ago, hey, you know, how many people in total do you think we are obligated to remove from Afghanistan? He put the number at 70,000. So that shows you, Jason, they were this far into this without the administration giving a specific plan on how they were going to get 70,000 people out of the country by August. And then we wake up July 1st to find out they've handed over Bagram Airfield, that yeah. they were we just don't have enough people to end this. Well, you don't give over the airfield and the prison. You get some people in to address the issue, and you keep Bagram because you need that airfield to get our people out. And they gave it up. And it is this is such a debacle. You have Secretary Austin, General Milley, Jake Sullivan, all these people need to be fired. 
I, somebody's got to have some responsibility. But my understanding is the United States Senate, uh, you look at the origins of COVID and you look at what's going on off, on Afghanistan. Uh, do we have any hearings in the United States Senate planned and scheduled for, to, for these two important topics? Well, those of us at Senate Armed Services had asked for a briefing, and finally this afternoon we are going to get a briefing that is specific to our Armed Services Committee work. We're looking forward to that. But, Jason, we the, the point is we need action. People yeah. out here in Tennessee, I'm all around the state this week, they're saying, Marsha, we want the facts. Uh, we want action. The families that we're working with, Tennesseans that are caught now in Afghanistan, whether they're in the military or working with the NGOs or our missionaries and they're caught, we are hearing them say, let's take an action. They don't want words. Hearings are going to come on the backside. But right now what we have to do is say our nation has a commitment. We have a commitment to get these people out. We need everybody home. We do not need to leave anyone behind. And and to that point, let's go to cut one, because this is Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, being asked a question about how many people is it that we're trying to, to, to extract? Exactly how many Americans are left behind in Afghanistan? Well, Nora, the U.S. government doesn't actually know the precise answer to that question, and that's because we ask every American who comes to Afghanistan to register with the U.S. Embassy. But when people leave, they often don't deregister, and even some who come never register in the first place. That's a pretty lame answer, don't you think? Well, it is one of these things that... You know, part of the problem here is you know, this is why you, you, you don't take a train to Afghanistan. Uh, you, not many people are taking ships to Afghanistan. You got to go get visas. You got to go uh, apply. You got to get when you get on a plane, you show your, you know, where your destination is. Um, I, I mean, the estimates we hear are all over the map. And I, I don't know that. Uh, I, I just don't know that they've got a, a real grip of what they're even dealing with. I don't think they have a real grip of what they are dealing with because they set a date on the calendar. They could say, we're going to pull our troops out, and then everything would just work its way out. It's not their responsibility. They did what they said they were going to do, and they're going to be done with it. It is such a disgusting attitude. It's not fair to American citizens and our taxpayers. It's not fair to the men and women in uniform. And God bless these men and women who for the past 20 years have given us 20 years of peace and prosperity because they were fighting the enemy over there and we were not fighting him here. And I have been calling on the president to close the southern border so we do not end up fighting them here. Yeah, no, there there are great parallels of how Kamala Harris and, and Joe Biden are securing our southern border and the way they're dealing with uh, Afghanistan. It's, it's just kind of stunning here. Let's go to cut yeah. four. This is Major General Hank Taylor 
uh, there at the Pentagon uh, asking about what we're doing to secure people to actually get them to the airport. British paratroopers are leaving the airport to uh, rescue and evacuate some of their citizens. Why isn't the U.S. doing that? Our main mission continues to be to secure HKIA, to allow uh, those American citizens to come in and be processed uh, at the airfield. I mean, to come into... I've been, I've actually flown in and out of the Kabul airport, and it's one of the most dangerous roads, but I was there with, you know, MRAPs and, and a security force, um, you know, back in the day. I can't imagine just an American who's maybe a contractor or uh, somebody who's there and is trying to get out. Oh, just go to the airport. You don't catch an Uber and just go to the Kabul airport. No, you don't. And that is the thing that is just so astounding with this. People who have their paperwork can't get to the airport airport because of the Taliban. The Taliban is not going to let them inside the airport. There is going to have to be a plan for safe passage, for getting people to the airport, for pushing the Taliban back and expanding that perimeter around the airport so that we can get people there. And, Jason, what about people in other parts of the country? How are we going to get them out? We have to have a way to get them out of the airport, out to the airport. And you're exactly right. It's not like Kabul has a bunch of signs. (laughs) Yeah, it's not like you're going into Nashville and, you know, you just get off the highway. Hey, just follow this road right there. I mean, it, it's such a joke. But, you know, one of your former colleagues, uh, Kamala Harris, the vice president, uh, she feels very comfortable with this because she was in the room making this these plans and uh, had planned it all out. This is her from April. Let's go to cut 11. President Biden always said that he wants you to be the last person in the room, particularly for big decisions, just as he was for President Obama. He just made a really big decision. Afghanistan. Yes. Were you the last person in the room? Yes. And you feel comfortable? I do. Wow. I mean, hey, she was in the room. The plans are in place, Senator. Well, I don't know if Kamala Harris has ever been to Afghanistan. I don't know if she has ever set foot in that embassy. I have. You have. Uh, I don't know what her understanding of the issues on the ground. And I have tweeted tweeted at her a little bit over the last few days because she has not spoken up in defense of the Afghani women and children who we hear are now being raped. Some are being murdered. Uh, some are uh, facing terrible conditions. Yeah, the, uh, you make a good point there. I haven't heard anybody else talk about that because I have heard that suddenly there are all these arranged marriages, which to me is code for, yeah, they're being raped uh, against their will uh, under the guise of, oh, well, now they're married. And, you know, when they can have plural marriages, um, it, it, it's just it's just sad and it's unnecessary. It is sad and unnecessary, and great strides have been made for women and girls. Girls were going to school. They were playing musical instruments. They were working on robotic 
teens. And bear in mind, you've got a generation of young people that were able to have these type of educational and enrichment experiences in their country. And now they are trying to flee for their lives and get to a safe country where they're not going to be killed because they know if they stay there and survive, they're going to be locked inside a house. And they will not have education. And they will not have opportunity. That is going to be something that has passed them by. Senator, I cannot thank you enough for joining us and for being on top of this. One of the hardest working senators I know there on Capitol Hill, Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Brian Kilmeade Show. We'll be right back. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, this is Jason Chaffetz uh, filling in for Brian Kilmeade, uh, Fox News contributor, uh, the Jason in the House podcast. I hope you get a chance to look at that. Um, I, I want to just mention something here because I tell you, as a parent, you're, you, you're my wife, you know, you're always worried about what's being taught or not being taught at school. I want you to hear this rant, unfortunately, from a Utah teacher who's just down the street from us. Um, I'm glad the Alpine School District here in Utah did the right thing and fired this person. But listen to this interaction between students and this teacher. I hate Donald Trump. I'm going to say it. I don't care what y'all think. Trump sucks. (laughs) He's a sexual predator. He's a literal moron. Go title on me to the freaking admin. They don't give a crap. No, he is not. What are you talking about? Turn off the Fox News. Do your parents listen to Fox News? So what? This is my classroom, and if you guys are going to put me at risk, you're going to hear about it. Because I have to be here. I don't have to be happy about the fact that there's kids coming in here with their variants that could possibly get me or my family sick. Well, she was a bit off the rails, and, you know, as the kids kept pointing out, this is a chemistry class. Um, but you know what? Um, unfortunately, these things happen. I'm glad these uh, – glad recording of it. But I'm also proud of the fact that within uh, a day or two, uh, the Alpine School District did the right thing. They immediately suspended her, and then they actually fired her. And we don't need this type of person in our classroom. They could have – you can have your own political views, but you know what? Get out there and teach chemistry in the chemistry class. Let parents, let let kids go out and figure their own uh, future in terms of what they believe politically. Just not there in the, in the classroom. Uh, I'm Jason Chaffetz. we got a lot more coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, this is Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian Kilmeade. The the website is briankilmeadeshow.com. Very aptly named. Uh, it's an honor and privilege to sit in for uh, for Brian. And uh, there's a lot to talk about. There's, you know, I like to say there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And there's a lot that's happening. And uh, the world's a crazy place. But you know what? At the end of the day, the United States of America, it's still the greatest country on the face of the planet. We tend to figure these things out. So, um, but a lot is going on for what was supposed to be just, you know, uh, the end of August here. Kids are starting to go back to school. Some are already in school. We thought things would be a little bit, um, not, well, not so tumultuous, right? But, but they are in, in clearly, uh, one of the things that's just coming over the wires here is that Mike Richards is stepping down as the host of Jeopardy. He got himself into trouble with some comments and things that he said. And, um, boy, you know, they, they try to plan and put things together, but then all of a sudden, um, maybe the fans speak up and we love Jeopardy, right there. You're never going to replace Alex Trebek. Um, but you know what? Mike Richards stepping down, host of Jeopardy. Probably a good move. Probably, probably what they should have done at the beginning. Um, I let's uh, we're talking a lot about Afghanistan, but let's take a moment and talk a little bit about the coronavirus because I I feel like uh, Joe Biden has used the coronavirus as a bit of a deflection, at least an attempted deflection on the chaos that has been created on the world scene with uh, with uh, Afghanistan. Uh, for the president, what was it, day before yesterday, right? The, uh, the president comes out and does a press statement, takes no questions, but talks only about COVID. Just is more evidence to me that they're using these things as a political tool when really it should be driven by science and that this is just not an area that we should be manipulating or changing or 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 trying to be aggressive on and and do things for their political gain. I mean, one of my biggest beefs is that they often take a political position about what this what we should do and then they try to go back and find the science. Why not release the science and then allow it to percolate and then allow the scientific community to rally behind it and say, "Well, obviously we should do x y or z." But that's not what happens. And, and, and so you end up in these political spats um, that really don't need to be there. The other thing that for me personally, look, I, I took the, the vaccine. My wife took the vaccine. Consultation with our doctors. That's the right solution for us. Okay. And I, and I would hope that that would be a solution for a lot of people. But I'm in politics. I'm not your doctor. I don't know how to make a recommendation for you other than. Hopefully you'll you'll do the right thing to protect you and your your family. But you get you're an adult. You can make these decisions yourself. But let's cut to let's go to cut seventeen because uh, Joe Biden he doesn't necessarily take those same positions. You know we're not going to sit by as governors try to block and intimidate educators protecting our children. For example, if a governor wants to cut the pay of a hardworking education leader who requires masks in a classroom. The money from the American Rescue Plan can be used to pay that person's salary, 100 percent. 
whoa, that's a lot of money sitting around, Mr. President. It is amazing how much money is just sitting around. If they think they're going to start paying all these teachers 100% of their salary based on the money that Joe Biden thinks that he has at his discretion, holy cow, that that's going to be a lot of money. More importantly, I think it gets down to who gets to make this decision, who gets to make this choice. And you know what? I think it should be parents to be making decisions with their children. You know, particularly when you start to get down, the younger they get, uh, the more that uh, that I think that decision that really has to be one with the parent. You were talking with uh, uh, one of the, the staff here, uh, one of the producers, if you will, at, uh, at the Brian Kilmeade show. And I hope they don't mind me telling the story, but they're they're talking to their Uber driver and the Uber driver was just kind of beside themselves because they saw a parent with the child in the pool wearing masks. What are you doing with a kid wearing a mask in a pool? I mean, it's hard enough to breathe and make sure you got enough oxygen, let alone put a mask on somebody and then put them in the pool. But you know what? You got to let parents be parents. And um, I, I think that's a horrific decision. But you know what? It's not necessarily the decision that I get to make. So anyway, I, I just feel like the coronavirus is continuing to be a political football. And uh, we're going to talk some more with people who've got some deep expertise about this. But uh, I got to tell you, um, parents should be making these decisions. Not my school teacher, not some government official, not the guy, Dr. Fauci, who has time to pose for the, you know, in style magazine cover shot. That's not what we're trying to do here. Let the medical professionals deal with this. And uh, hopefully you find the right decision. And hopefully that's a vaccine. Hopefully that'll work for you. Um, but if it doesn't, if you got an extenuating circumstance, or you, that's your business. Uh, anyway, that's that's my take on it. All right, let's go back and talk some more a little bit about, about what's going on and not going on in Afghanistan. Because... Uh, it, it really is devastating to us as a people. We had literally hundreds of thousands of people who have served in our United States military who put their lives on the line to protect and save this country. Let's listen to Senator uh, Tom Cotton yesterday was on the Faulkner Focus. Let's get his perspective on from Senator Tom Cotton. Cut 12. But if our government can't even say how many American citizens we have, what's going to stop Joe Biden from rolling up things and flying out on August 31st with thousands of American citizens left behind? What increasingly worries me is the scenario of Tehran in 1979, when 52 hostages held by the Ayatollah paralyzed American foreign policy for more than a year. Imagine if the Taliban has effective hostage control of thousands of Americans who are stranded in Afghanistan. This was one of the most incomplete, ill-conceived, not thought-out plans that there could possibly be. I mean, we could be here for days listing out all the things they could have done, should have done. But at the end of the day, Joe Biden said, no, no, we planned for all that. We planned for all contingency, including the, the bit of chaos that's going on there. It's going to cost people's lives, and it doesn't need to be that way. We've got more with the Brian Kilmeade Show coming up. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. 
breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, I'm Jason Chaffetz filling in for Brian Kilmeade. The website, briankilmeadeshow.com, and the call-in line, 866-408-7669. We're going to try to take some calls, and we're going to start in St. Louis, Missouri. Ron, you're on the line. What's your question or comment? Hey, uh, Jason, it's, you're a good guy to, to talk to, and I always like to see you on Fox News. Well, thanks. Uh, I've, I've just been concerned because, uh, you know, we've got all these experts coming out now that are talking about they knew the Afghan army was, was going to fail. Uh, and even looking back a year ago when, when they had the presidential debates, they didn't ask one single foreign affairs question during the debates. And this seems like, you know, since both uh, Trump and Biden both agreed, that they were going to pull troops out, they could have explored that a little bit during the debates. So I'm just curious, you know, why is, why is the media slow to react? And the second thing I, I wanted was an answer to your question. You asked Marsha Blackburn, and that was, why would you pull out the troops before you pull out the people? And the, and the answer is they didn't think anything was going to happen. They just figured life's going to go on as normal. Yeah, which is so naive. You can, you can yeah. Ron, thank you so much, because you bring up a good point. So let me address, um, yeah, they just, what, thought things were going to go on as normal? But I think you're starting to see the trickle now coming out from the directives, or not the directives, but the insight from the State Department and the Intel committee uh, community putting up the warning flag saying, hey, this is a problem. And look, we spend a massive amount of money to make sure that we have it the best intelligence agency and that we have the best uh, defense department. I just don't believe the senior leaders when they say there was no indicator that this was going to fall apart. Are you kidding? All you had to do is be there. I, I was there for days, okay, on a couple different trips, and you could tell really quickly that they didn't have the institutional capability uh, to be able to defend themselves. And this is this is years ago. Um, but I think the warning signs were there. And to your first question, Ron, I, I think you make a, a really good point. You know, we really missed out on the idea. If you, if you recall, there was supposed to be a third debate, uh, presidential debate, that was focused on foreign affairs. But you had that um, PBS reporter. I think it was a PBS reporter or, yeah, um, C-SPAN, sorry, not, not PBS, a C-SPAN reporter who had a little bit of a scandal himself. He's still employed there, by the way. He wasn't fired. And they ended up canceling the foreign affairs. You're right. That should have been more delved into in greater depth. Candidates on the record talking about how would they deal with Iran? How would they deal with North Korea? How would they deal with China? How would they deal with our southern, with uh, Mexico and the southern border? And how would they deal with Afghanistan, our longest standing war but the fact that they canceled this uh, debate, which worked, I think, in Joe Biden's favor, that was just wrong. But that's part of the reason we got ourselves in this mess. So, Ron in St. Louis, thank you so much. All right, let's talk to uh, Eric Jacksonville, uh, W-O-K-V. Tell a question, comment. Uh, welcome, Eric. Good morning, sir. You're doing a great job. On behalf of we the people, I would like to personally thank you because uh, – as Rush Limbaugh pointed out many times, without you and Devin Nunez, this entire Spygate would have gone right under the radar of everybody. Oh, but as far as, Af as far as Afghanistan, um, I was a freshman in high school when 
they had those hostages you talk about. And every day going into school, it was looming in American – it was on the news, and what a failure. And I even remember that it got so bad, we had to have naval ships escort tankers through the Straits of Hormuz, or Iran was firing so or mi- missiles at them. I fear that's going to be coming back. The only man that's happy right now today is Jimmy Carter, because Jimmy Carter is now no longer the worst foreign policy president we've ever had. Um, I can't find a thing good for we the people that Joe Biden has done. I almost believe the conspiracy that the Communist Party is ruling the White House right now, whether it's China's blackmail or – I mean, they said that uh, Trump and Putin were like boyfriends. I can't see anybody that's helped Putin more now. He, he gave him a pipeline while denying us a pipeline. Can you make any sense of any of this, sir? Well, look, uh, you, you're just a tad older than I am. I do remember the Iranian uh, situation. I think I was in kind of grade school, early high school, and uh, even then not paying a whole lot of attention to politics. That was a tough time in our country, and it just felt so demoralizing. It just... And, and the way Carter handled things, you know, but I think that gave rise to the strength of Ronald Reagan and he made us proud. Um, he put America first. He believed in peace through strength. And when Joe Biden talks about America is back, I, I don't know how to respond to that because I cannot, like you're saying, I cannot think of a single thing that's going better since Joe Biden and Kamala Harris have taken over. I mean, I, I can't think of a single thing. The border's worse. Inflation's up. Um, Afghanistan is a total embarrassment. I mean, you just keep going down the list, and I just think that the situation's worse, not better. And uh, I'm really deeply concerned about that. I don't know that you can go so far as to the conspiracy theory you talked about, um, but it does beg the question, who is actually back there make, calling the shots? But you have people like Susan Rice and and others. You know, you have a lot of the uh, Obama-Biden uh, White House uh, that is now back in power. And I think as you see this Afghanistan thing fold out uh, even more, I think we're going to hear more and more about how Obama-Biden released people out of Guantanamo Bay, put them back on the battlefield, and now they're helping to run the show in Afghanistan. I mean, it's pretty stunning uh, what has happened there. So, uh, Erica, they're, they're in Jacksonville. Really do appreciate it, and thanks for the kind comments about me and Devin Nunes. That's always appreciated. So let's go to Al in uh, Rhode Island. What's your – Al, welcome. Uh, what's your question or comment? Good morning, Congressman, and thank you for filling in for Brian. Appreciate it. Uh, a couple of quick points and uh, a, a solution. Mm-hmm. First of all, this is uh, obviously uh, a tragedy of incompetence by the Biden administration from top to bottom. And I think the Republicans should, you know, bring forth the previous plan to to evacuate the withdrawal plan that Trump had uh, uh, put together. Yeah. I think if Biden is going to partially br- blame the Trump administration. I think it would warrant the Republicans to bring forth Trump's plan to show the incompetence of the Biden administration. And as far as our, uh, our citizens that, and, and friends that are behind enemy lines, we know the Taliban has encircled the airport and the Biden administration say, make your way to the airport. Well, anybody of, of reason is going to know these Taliban are not going to make it easy. They're going to apprehend American citizens. 
we have brave military units that would be willing to risk their lives. I'm a veteran myself. That would be willing to risk their lives to go and extract these citizens of ours. And we should make an effort to put these units together and tell the Taliban, by no means, if you attack any of our soldiers, the consequences will be devastating. And in the meantime, go and grab us. Al, you make you make a great point. I do think there should be more discussion about the way Trump would have done it and what plans were in place. Part of my understanding of what Donald Trump, the President Trump, was going to do is he was very crystal clear with the Taliban. I mean, if you look at it, we had no American die for like something like 18 months or something um, because I think Donald Trump was crystal clear. You do this to us, we will take you out. There will be a severe consequence beyond your wildest imagination. And you know what? They believed him. And that's the power of peace through strength. If you actually are have the biggest club on the block and you actually are willing to use it, guess what? It creates more peace. Instead, you have a per, the perception of such a weak uh, Kamala Harris and such a weak Joe Biden. Guess what? They're not afraid. I mean, Kamala Harris is getting on a plane tonight to go to, to Singapore. You think the Chinese are really shaken about what Kamala Harris might do? I don't think so. So, uh, you know, the other thing that's playing out right now in real time is that you have the British that are doing precisely what you said, Al. They're, they're going out and getting the British citizens and bringing them to the airport. I have been to the Kabul airport. I have flown in and out of the Kabul airport. I posted a picture up on my Twitter account, Jason in the house. You can see it. I've, I, I've been there, I've, I, but it is exceptionally dangerous. And it took literally an army of people to get me in and out of there. And I can only imagine... A U.S. citizen in the State Department and the military say, well, just come on down to the airport. You know what? That's not like going and flying in and out of Orlando or or Des Moines, Iowa. It just doesn't work that way. So thanks for joining us here on the Brian Killed Mead Show. I'm Jason Chafe. It's been filling in for Brian. It's been a true pleasure and honor. Uh, thank you for joining us here on the Brian Kilmead Show. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Well, almost Brian Kilmeade. I'm Jason Chaffetz. I'm filling in for Brian. I, a uh, former member of Congress, uh, served in the Congress as elected in 2008, was there for eight and a half years, chairman of the Oversight and Government Reform Committee. But now I'm Fox News contributor. I'm also a uh, host of the Jason in the House podcast. So I don't know if you have a chance or an inclination to listen to podcasts, but uh, right now, we have an interview up with uh, Kaylee McEnany, and uh, I think you'd really enjoy it. Learn a little bit more about her and her background. A lot of great other interviews. I think one of my favorite was with Brian Mass. Brian served in the United States um, military, lost his legs serving in Afghanistan. And uh, just a great American. He's a congressman now out of Florida. And uh, I, you want to get an inspirational uh, discussion um, and you, you want to hear somebody who you just want to emulate. You just, 
inspired by, that would be somebody like a Brian Mast. And you know what? There are untold number of stories of people who went over and have served in our military. Some of them came back with PTSD. Some of them came back having lost a limb. Some of them came back just having dedicated their lives for a year, or maybe they've served multiple tours serving in Afghanistan and uh, or Iraq or some other part of the world. Um, you know, uh, some are serving in Japan, in other words, in, uh, in other parts of the world. And they do so because they love their country and they step up and they serve and they answer that call. And it's happened through several generations. It's amazing to me. I think what inspires me probably as much as anything in this world are ordinary Americans doing extraordinary things. And uh, you see that with first responders. You see that with our, you know, our police, our fire, our EMTs. Uh, you see those with people who find themselves unexpectedly in a situation that they have to deal with and they they do it in such a way that it makes you proud. I guess that's probably what's so infuriating about what's going on now or not going on now in Afghanistan because so much could be going right. Uh, I think, you know, I heard some interviews, different people who served in the military and I, and I think they wanted to leave Afghanistan. I think most people understood that it was probably time after 20 years to bring our troops home, but they wanted to do so with dignity and with pride and our head held high. They didn't want to lose an American or leave behind some of those Afghans who put their lives on the line to stand tall and true for the United States. They believed us and they helped us. And yet all of that seems to be have been flushed away by the incompetence and the arrogance and just the the wrong-headed nature of how Joe Biden and Kamala Harris put this plan together. You know, if you listen to, to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, they put together a plan, they planned for every contingency, and they knew that chaos was going to be part of that transition. They said that that was part of the consideration, that chaos was inevitable. Let's go to cut seven and listen to Joe Biden answer this question on ABC with George Stephanopoulos. So you don't think this could have been handled, this actually could have been handled better in any way? No mistakes? No, I, I, I don't think it could have been handled in a way that there, we, we're going to go back in hindsight and look, but the idea that somehow there's a way to have gotten out without chaos ensuing I don't know how that happens. I don't know how that happened. So for you, that was always priced into the decision? Yes. That is one of the most shameful, disgusting answers um, I've heard an American president give. Because you know what? The United States of America is the greatest fighting force on the face of the planet. We pour hundreds of billions of dollars into our, 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 the, into our United States military. Uh, the men and women that I know that serve in the military, they're willing to do anything and everything that's called upon by their country. But to do this, to abandon our uh, military base in Bagram with the capability of flights taking off and landing in relative safety. It's a dangerous part of the world. It's not totally safe, but much safer than the Kabul airport. We had something like 2,500 of our troops there. And now the president has had to put 7,000 back in. 
And so how does he, on the one hand, say, well, you know, we were just doing this safely and and securely, um, but we hadn't planned for any contingent. We planned for every contingency. It just makes no sense. Listen, we, we want to go to the, the, the get some calls and, and answer uh, your questions or hear your comments. The call-in line is 866-408-7669, 408-7669. Um, dial us up. Uh, I'd like to hear your comments or your question. And uh, actually, I think we're going to take Joe. Joe out in the Bronx. Joe's called in a few times here to the the Brian Kilmeade show, but uh, Joe, what's uh what's on your mind? What what, what are you thinking about today? All right. Well, uh, good morning, first of all, and uh, two things really quick. Number one, I wanted to avail you and the audience of uh, a new site that actually uh, covers conservative topics uh, from a conservative angle, uh, from immigration to foreign policy. It's called unz.com. Again, that's ultra November. Never, never heard that one. I, I, I can't, you know, I can't vouch or do that. I we try not to promote too many outside sites here. But Joe, what's your? Do you have a question or a comment? Yeah, by all means. Uh, but the only reason why I put that out there, the only way to circumvent the control by the liberal media is to use sites that you know don't echo the same narrative. That's number one. Number two, with regard to the southern border, you know, not only do we have unprecedented numbers of people now crossing the southern border, we're on on. Uh, on schedule to receive over 1 million on top of the normal traffic that normally comes across the southern border illegally this year alone, thanks to the Biden administration. But yeah, even it, more it, so. Joe, uh, Joe, let me jump in there because you're right. Um, we haven't talked a lot about this because, you know, but COVID, I, I, it's just, you know, it's flowing over the border. I see the parallel. I, I see the parallel between the chaos that is the southern border and the chaos that is Afghanistan. I mean, it, it really is stunning there. So you make a good point, Joe. I got a lot of callers lined up, so I'm going to actually switch gears now. Let's go to Alex, also listening on WABC there in Brooklyn. What's your question or comment? Hi, Jason. Great to talk to you. So I have two things for you, and I want to hear if you agree or disagree. And the first one is, I don't know if under the Trump administration we should have removed the troops from Afghanistan, but certainly under the Biden administration it was the right thing to do, simply because before Joe Biden removed the troops, the Taliban has already taken over huge parts of Afghanistan, and that was caused by Joe Biden because he did not follow through with the promise that Donald Trump made to the Taliban, that if they take over even a small part of Afghanistan, they'll be hit harder than anybody has ever been hit before. So there was no reason for us to keep our troops there. We weren't accomplishing anything. So we should have removed the troops, but not in the way that we did. We should have first taken out the, the, the our citizens and our Afghani allies. The second thing is, um, the way we should be going forward, I think, is we should do what should have been done a few months ago. It's called the Trump strategy, and it's the way we could get our American citizens and Afghani allies out of that country. We need to drop a couple of bombs on the Taliban and the places where they reside in Afghanistan and tell them that if they do not cooperate with the United States of America and within the next 24 hours get our American citizens and our allies out of Afghanistan unharmed, there will be more from where that came from. That is going to work. That worked. Donald Trump proved it with Syria with Salamani and, and Iran, it works, and it's going to work if we do that. And instead, what we might be doing now is we're going to pay them a lot of money to get our citizens out, or we're going to have to send our soldiers in there, which would be stupid when we could just send them a, a clear threat and, a, and some sort of action 
and and it's I think that would work. Yeah, Alex, uh, thank you so much for those comments because I'm a big believer. It sounds like you are as well in peace through strength. You know, if you look back at the time of Ronald Reagan, it was one of the most peaceful times in our country. But he carried a big stick. He built up the military. And he also projected strength around the world. Everybody knew and everybody believed that if it came time to actually use the weaponry and the military might of the United States of America, he would do it. And it created a lot of peace. Same with Donald Trump. If you look at the eight years, or, or the, I wish it was eight years, you look at the four years of Donald Trump, it was actually a very peaceful time. Uh, things calmed down in North Korea. Our, Iran was, you know, pulling back and in deep economic troubles. You know, wasn't able to develop its bomb. Didn't have the resources to to fund Hamas and other terrorist organizations around the world. And, and certainly in Afghanistan, we lost not a single person in the last eighteen months leading up until Joe Biden's time. In part because exactly what you talk about, Alex. That is, he made a very clear and direct communication to the Taliban, person to person, and told them, if you harm us, if you get in our way, guess what? We will devastate you beyond your wildest dreams. And you know what? They knew Donald Trump would do it. Do you think that the Taliban, do you think the people there that wish us harm are scared of Joe Biden or or Kamala Harris? Do you really think that they're like worried about that? There's no way that that is true. And that's what's so devastating uh, to us and our world reputation. Do you think China right now is maybe thinking about accelerating their plans in Taiwan? I'm afraid that they are. So these are the deep concerns. I believe in peace through strength like you do, Alex. Thanks for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Let's go to another caller. We've got uh, Keith, who's out in Kansas. I don't know where. Keith, where in Kansas are you? Um. North of Topeka. North of Topeka. All right, fair enough. Uh, thanks for joining us. What's your question or comment? Well, I'm on the reservation north of Topeka. That'll help you any. All right, well, there we go. I got a sense about. of where you're at. Uh, we had the Air Force base at Bagram. We earned to keep that 42-acre base there because we we lost over a thousand men. We've maimed thousands of people. We spent trillions of dollars. It's no different than what it was in Japan, Korea, Germany, Italy, wherever else you want to come from. That would have been our place. We wouldn't be in the mess we're in right now of, of trying to defend a air base that's surrounded by the Taliban. Amen to that. You know what? I've been to both. I've been to the Kabul airport, exceptionally dangerous. It's small. Um, it's probably bigger than the Topeka airport, but it ain't. It isn't bigger than the Kansas City airport, um, and uh, it, it's a very difficult place to go. It's a very narrow. It's like a it's like a funnel. It, it, even with me and MRAPs and and literally an army of people protecting me, um, they these people are burning fires by the side of the road. Uh, they're very close proximity. I mean, my distance between my car, my vehicle, and the people is you know a couple feet. And it's so it's very difficult to get through there. And, it, you know, Taliban puts up any checkpoints and you're you're just I mean, you're in trouble. Bagram, I've also been in and out of huge facility. You can relatively safely get in and out of there. Why you would abandon the air, the air base before you extracted the people is just like 
Come on, folks. If we were designing this in third grade, you'd be able to figure this one out. And how can the biggest, baddest military might in the United States, the United States of America, make such a catastrophic mistake? But to hear Kamala Harris and and Joe Biden talk about it, we planned for all of this. I mean, the incompetence is just stunning and it's so embarrassing and it's so wrong to the men and women who served our country so valiantly. I want to take a very quick call here from Harvey who's in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Harvey, what's on your mind? Hey, thanks for having me on the show. Um, I was just wondering, how fast would Nancy Pelosi have tried to impeach Donald Trump if he would have made such a debacle <laughs> of this military removal in Afghanistan? And how Amen come none of the Republicans up on the Capitol are even talking about impeachment because of this debacle? Well, I think the reason they're not talking about impeachment is that you end up with Kamala Harris. So, and if and if you take them both out, then you get Nancy Pelosi. So, you know, choices one, two, and three are not good at this point. Um, but you're right; um, they would be having hearings. They would be yanking people up on Capitol Hill. Um, they got the senators have a briefing, but no scheduled public hearing supposedly next week in the foreign affairs committee in the house, you're going to have two of the senior administration people there. Um, but not nearly to the degree, Harvey, you're absolutely right. They would be going, calling for the head uh, of Donald Trump and probably rightfully so if it, with such incompetence. And, and, uh, I just hope we don't see loss of life of Americans. I really, really hope that we don't see that, but Look at the pictures, look at the video, and look at the warnings that came out ahead of time. Harvey, I appreciate the call. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Stay with us. We're going to be back with more. Stay with us. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis. Because, man, do you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, this is Jason Chaffetz. Our call-in number, 866-408-7669. I want to take some calls. So uh, we got Mike out in Santa Barbara, California. My mom grew up in Santa Barbara. She went to Santa Barbara High School. So, Mike, what's on your mind? Hey there. A couple things. Two points. Uh, Quick ones. First is that. In the uh, the Telegraph in the UK, they published a column a day or so ago by a columnist saying that uh, the era of America is over. That's what this signals, and uh, I think a lot of people still don't understand how bad this really is. The second point is that why don't people bring up this thing when Joe says, "Well, we knew there was going to be chaos. You know, it was inevitable." If you knew there was going to be chaos, why didn't you plan in advance to get people out? Uh, And no one is asking him that directly. So you're saying, Joe, that you intentionally left people there amid the chaos. Yeah, Mike, it's a great point. In fact, even the Washington Post, which is one of his biggest cheerleaders out there, is saying um, you're supposed to make things better, not to make them chaotic. And I do think the implications around the world with our NATO allies and just the world in general, has this is as big a setback as there has been. <clears throat> Pardon me. 
Uh, let's go to Judy in uh, Virginia. Judy, what's on your mind? Hello. Thanks for having me. Um, I have so much on my mind, but I realize it's a short show. I guess <laughs> one thing that I'm thinking about right away is just uh, I noticed that the interview that the president had with uh, Stephanopoulos, um, that that wasn't totally uh, written out or told very well and to the public. A lot was left out, apparently, I understand, by ABC. And people need to read that whole thing and see just how incoherent the president of our United States was in that interview. Uh, it explains a lot uh, yeah. of what's going on. And, of course, we already knew this, but this is like, you know, it's in writing. And number two, um, I guess one thing is I just feel like we have to get out the Americans in Afghanistan, no matter what it takes, uh, and the Afghans who assisted. If we want to continue to be that shining light on a hill, because we're not going to be if we let this go. Yeah. Uh, Judy, you make two great points. We need to see not just the transcript of that interview, but we need to see the actual video from ABC. And you're right. We owe people. They took care of us when we needed them, and we need to take care of them. Judy, thanks for joining us so much on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hang in there with us because we're going to be back with more on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Jason Chaffetz. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Plan is for every adult to get a booster shot eight months after you got your second shot. It will make you safer and for longer. And it will help us end the pandemic faster. Well, I'm Jason Chaffetz. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show, and uh, we're thrilled to have on the line with us right now Dr. Jeanette Nishiwat, who's a Fox News medical contributor, family and emergency medicine doctor. Um, doctor, we uh, you're, one of, you're one of our favorites around here. You tell it like it is and how you see it. Uh, do you think this is the right direction? Should we be doing booster shots? Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me today. So here's my opinion. The most, the people that are going to benefit the most from these boosters, and we have data on this, are those who have a weak immune system. We know that, for example, if you just had a liver transplant or a kidney transplant and you get a third booster shot, your protection goes from 35% up to more than double that amount. Hmm. So for some people, it's going to be life-changing. But for others, it's more of a matter of do we want to wait? until we see the breakthrough in infections causing hospitalizations and death? Or do we want to take initiative, be proactive, and get that booster before that happens? Because what we're seeing right now is, is that the vaccines are still very good against protecting you from dying and, you know, severe disease, but you can still catch a mild infection. So that's the thinking behind getting these boosters for everyone. But in my opinion, the priority should be, number one, focusing on those who have not had any vaccination and have no natural uh, immunity from prior infection, um, I think that should be our focus. And then getting those who are most vulnerable, their boosters, like those over the age of 60, those with underlying medical conditions and so forth. Well, what's your thought on, you know, when you were told to go get the shot? I've, I've gotten the shot. My wife's gotten the shot or two shots. 
you know, I think it was, what, three weeks or so after I got my first shot, I got my second shot. But there's some other doctors out there saying you really didn't need to have it three weeks. You could have had it months after. Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. We probably could have waited a little bit longer, but we were so fearful of everybody, you know, not everybody, but we were so fearful of losing more lives. We, we were losing lives left and right. And so that's why they were so desperate and we were so eager to try to fully vaccinate and get that highest level of immunization as soon as possible. But looking back, yeah, we probably could have waited a little bit longer. And that's why we have data now that tells us, okay, for that third booster, you're going to wait a good eight months. You're not going to wait a few weeks. Eight months is, is what the data found. because They saw that about after six months, the antibody level, levels have gone down, started to go down. And so that's why they think um, eight months is, is, is looking like the best third uh, third booster time frame. And then the good news is um, some experts and some of the data that we have say that, just indicates that we might not need anything after the third booster. That might be it. And let's point out, let's remember, boosters are a common part of medicine. You get a booster when you get your hepatitis vaccine, when you get your measles, mumps, rubella vaccine. So boosters are common. It's a normal part of medicine. With, with COVID, it's just a matter of figuring out what's the best timing and who needs it. So two questions. One is, um, is the booster just the same dose for the third time in a row? And the other part of it is, what about these other variants? I mean, supposedly there's the Delta variant, and then there's going to be the, you know, what other variant comes up after that? I mean, I don't know where this ends, um, but, I, you know, we're dealing with something we haven't dealt with before. But help me understand that. Is it just the third dose is, you know, equal doses each one and what about the variants yes that's a good question as it is right now it's going to be like say for me i had moderna last year december 2020 so i would get the same exact shot same exact dosage it would be eight months after my second shot so technically i'm due um you know i'm due now i'm due next month for my booster but same exact amount same exact shot but you know what i would like to see jason i would like to see Pfizer and Moderna modify, tweak, and update their vaccine to better protect against these new variants like Delta, because it's Delta that's making it where the vaccine is not as effective. So if they have the capability of doing that, they should do that. But let's point out the vaccines are still very effective against death and severe disease. As it is right now, it still holds true that majority of people who are dying and who are hospitalized are unvaccinated and, and hopefully, you know, it stays like that, meaning our vaccines are still going to be very strong and, and effective. I, I, I think one of the things that is so concerning to, uh, I don't know if it's most Americans, but certainly a lot of Americans, is that it often seems that this administration, the Biden administration, Harris administration, they're taking positions on wearing masks and mandates and putting them in schools, and having kids wear masks, and should they wear them on airplanes, and all of these different positions before the science comes out. Like, And I harp on this, and I've said this many times, I don't understand why the scientific study couldn't come out, allow it to percolate for a few days. The scientific community, if it was so crystal clear, would obviously rally behind that. And then they would have the imperative and the the kind of high ground on the morals of it to actually say, well, this is why we're going to take this position. But 
they're taking positions on masks and vaccinations and stuff, and there is no science behind certain parts of it. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. We need clear and consistent messaging backed by data. That's how you build confidence in, in Americans. That's how, you know, it's important to give them the truth, to be transparent, to give to present the data and back up what you're saying. Um, and that's been an, an issue. We've had a lot of back and forth, you know, and it created confusion among a lot of people. Do we need a mask? Do we not need a mask? If we're vaccinated, do we need a mask? So, and it's difficult when it, when it comes to children. It's hard to, to get our, our little ones, you know, masked up. You know, it, it can affect them in many different ways. But I think for the older children, uh, teenagers, for example, um, we want them back in school. We want everybody back in school. And in areas where there's a high level of outbreak and there's no hospital beds, like, for example, Alabama, Louisiana, Mississippi, no ICU beds available. If you get sick, what's going to happen to you? Where are you going to go for care? You're going to have to be, be transported three hours away to the nearest hospital. So I think we should look at the community specifically, what's going on in the community, take precautions based on the prevalence of COVID in your community. If there's massive outbreak, take those extra precautions to protect yourself. Um, and, and again, hopefully this is all just temporary. I don't think kids should be masked up all year long. I think once we get this current outbreak under control, then we need to look at um, if everyone is vaccinated, uh, if all the adults are vaccinated, that protects our children. If all the teachers and the staff are vaccinated, that protects our children, along with good vet, vet, uh, ventilation and, you know, spacing out the desks um, so that we minimize putting the burden of protection on our children. But it's, it's tough. It's a challenge. We want our kids back in school. We want them back safely. And we want to keep them out of the hospital. The, we're seeing record number of hospitalizations right now in adults under the age of 50 and kids, more than we did last year. And it's all because of this Delta variant. So it's frustrating. It's been confusing. But just the best thing you can do is, um, you know, protect yourself, protect your family. If you're, if you're eligible to be vaccinated, get vaccinated if you haven't had um, natural immunity from previous infection. That's one of the best ways to protect yourself. Yeah, and I, you know, as I look at this, I my understanding with the masks is there have been studies done about some of the uh, how dirty these masks are and um, what they're breathing through these masks is not necessarily the most healthy thing. Uh, you know, and certainly the younger you go, like I, I have a I have grandkids, uh, so we got a, a three soon to be four year old. You put a mask on her, she touches her face far more than she would ever touch her face if she didn't have a mask. And so yeah, there's there's all yeah. sorts of other implications about child development and communication. And I, I just don't see the studies out there saying that a cloth mask on a three-year-old is actually going to be more positive than not. Yeah, there, there is not, um, you know, data that shows there is an overall net benefit in toddlers and these little kids wearing a mask. Um, and you're right, kids, you know, they touch their faces, they have, you know, runny nose, um, they rub their eyes. And so it can be, it can be an issue for, for them. But um, even the World Health Organization recommends under the age of five that uh, they don't recommend masking under the age of five. And between the ages of six and 11, they say it's optional if the child can tolerate it. Um, so it's interesting to see that there's a lack of... But if you get know, on an airplane... Our CDC, yeah, yeah. If you get on an airplane, the CDC is telling, oh, you have to have a, a, a mask on a three-year-old. 
And then people don't see the science and then they wonder why there's vaccine hesitancy and they don't believe everything that comes out of the federal government. They create this problem and exacerbate this problem upon themselves. And I I get exacerbated by it because I see it and it's so frustrating. And um, I I, I just I I wish there was more sense. And and then when they actually really need them, they would come through. Yeah, it, I can understand the frustration. Many, many parents, many Americans are frustrated because of the inconsistency. But what we do know is that anybody could actually spread the virus. And remember, Jason, when the virus spreads, that's when we give it the opportunity to mutate. And that's when we right. see new variants. So in my opinion, the only benefit of, of masking everyone is preventing the spread, which prevents variants from emerging. But it is difficult for our toddlers, I hate when we put the burden of protection on them. I think if all the adults and the older people who did their part um, were there, you know, get their vaccines, we wouldn't have to worry about passing the disease to our children. Yeah. Because that's how they're picking it up from us. Uh, Dr. Jeanette uh, Nishawat, uh, Fox News medical contributor, I really do appreciate uh, what you do and all the good care that you give to so many people. Thank and thanks you, for joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Appreciate it. You're, you're very kind. Thanks for having me, Jason, and I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Stay thank safe. you. Thank you. All right. This is Brian Kilmeade Show. Stay with us. Our number, 866-408-7669. We'll be right back. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, actually, today it's Jason Chaffetz. I'm the host of the Jason in the House podcast, which I hope you have a chance to, to, to listen to. I'm a Fox News contributor, and uh, quite frankly, I got my job there because I was a former, I'm a former member of Congress, served in Congress eight and a half years. I was the chairman of the Oversight Committee, and now uh, happy to fill in for Brian Kilmeade, one of our favorite people, and uh, honored that he would let me come sit in here. We're talking a lot about Afghanistan. We're going to get to your calls, 866-408-7669. Get near the end of the hour, so I don't have much time. But there are two other bits of news that I thought would be imperative for you listeners across the country to listen and hear about because, um, you know, Brian Kilmeade tries to bring you news that you don't hear otherwise. Uh, China is also in the news because they are creating a karaoke blacklist a blacklist of karaoke songs because they don't want patrons. And there are literally tens of thousands of venues across the country uh, there in China that uh, they like their karaoke out there. But evidently the Ministry of Culture and Tourism is saying that it will create a blacklist of songs containing what they call illegal content. Uh, This goes into effect on October 1st, uh, according to one of the state-run news agencies out there. And the band songs will be anything that, quote, endangers national unity, sovereignty, or territory integrity, violates Chinese religious practices, and spreads cults and superstitions, and advocates obscenity, gambling, violence, and drug-related crimes or instigating crimes. Boy, with that list, I don't know what songs they're going to come up with. Now, in the past, China has imposed similar bans on songs with uh, titles. And and I know you at home are listening a lot to these. But uh, one of the songs is that's already been banned is I Love Taiwanese Girls. 
uh, Beijing hooligans, which is just raging here in, in uh, I, I know it's a big hit in Texas. And then uh, don't want to go to school, um, according to the Post. Those songs have already been uh, banned, and we can't wait to see what other titles there in China they banned from the dreaded karaoke. Also wanted to mention one other thing. Uh, there is a collaboration happening with the Pepsi-Cola Corporation, uh, the PepsiCo and uh, Boston Beer Company. I don't know if you've heard this, but they're creating an alcoholic Mountain Dew. Look out. I mean, Mountain Dew, pretty popular in the Chaffetz household, I can tell you that. We don't really drink alcohol here, so I don't know that we're in the market for what's going to be called hard Mountain Dew. But it's expected to hit the shelves in early 2022, and my guess is that this new flavored malt beverage, which will contain 5% alcohol by volume, is probably going to do pretty well. Um, and so I just want to make sure you had those bits of news. Let's try to get to the lines. They put up a screen, and I can see the callers, and uh, we've got James in Tulsa, Oklahoma, KRMG. Is this James Langford that's calling, the senator, or is this a different James calling? James, you're on the line. This is a different James. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you okay. You know, James Langford has one of the most distinguishable voices, well, pretty much on the planet, uh, and he happens to be one of my favorite guys. I don't know what you think of him, but he's one of my favorite people on the planet. But, James, we're glad to have you also on the line. Well, thank you. Thank you, Jason. Listen, I got a quick question. I understand uh, the impeachment process. I understand that you know, there are uh, more negatives than positives with who might replace Biden if we were to impeach him. Has it even been thought of or explored the opportunity of doing a recall election for the presidency? I mean, we can do it for the we can do it for our, an elected official, a governor in California, because he obviously can't run that that state. Uh, Biden hasn't done one positive thing for this country since he was quote unquote elected uh, to this to the to the presidency. Why can we not have a recall election for the presidency? Boy, I think there are a lot of people that would join you in that. I think there's going to be I think there is a lot of buyer's remorse because I can't think of one thing that's moving in the right trajectory. And I think it's showing up, starting to show up in the poll numbers. I think the Afghanistan situation is just a bridge too far for so, so many people. I don't think our Constitution has that provision in place. Uh, we have to live with that. And let's be careful about impeaching or or using the 25th Amendment on, James, on, on Joe Biden because, you know, it's Kamala Harris who's right behind him. And behind that is Nancy Pelosi. And so, you know... I, Let's be careful with that. I know there's a lot of discussion, but it just shows how important these elections are. I know people are asked to donate money. They donate time. And they also, you know, have to get out and vote. And, and you know, voter security is a big issue. It's an important issue. But it's dealt with differently than how we do states, uh, you know, governors or school boards or city council or a mayor or governor. It really is dealt with differently. And I, I don't think there's any mechanism in order to do that. And uh, I think we need to be very careful with that. You know, I, I want to I kind of started the show by uh, saying, 
even though we have all these problems, all these challenges, United States of America, we're still the greatest country on the face of the planet. We figure these things out. We'll get through this. I don't think you can ever break the American spirit. Uh, the D.C., Washington, D.C., it's not where we find our answers. It's where we get disappointed. We love the boots. We're not so keen on the suits, and I think it needs to stay that way. I heard Peter Schweitzer say that. So true. I'm Jason Chaffetz. This has been The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.